Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, welcome back to a new installment of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm your host, Miami Hurricanes beat writer, Manny Navarro. It is Tuesday, July 26th, around 9.30 a.m., and I'm back from vacation. I spent a nice week uh, up with my uh, parents and my brothers up in uh, Blue Ridge, Georgia, one of those beautiful cabins up uh, up the side of a mountain. There's not a lot to do in those kind of areas other, unless you're a hunter, right, or somebody who really loves the outdoors, but... Uh, we had a great time playing dominoes. We had a great time playing pool. Uh, they had some arcades in the cabin downstairs in, in the uh, in the den area where we hung out most of the time and uh, played this game called uh, The Wolf, um, where essentially somebody has to be the bad guy and get a whole bunch of fun accusations and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, so it was a good it was a good seven days seeing mom and dad. It sucks when you're when your parents and your brothers all move like we all grew up in Miami spent most of our life here. And then now, like within the last five years, I've had family members move all over the country. So this is the only time you get to see them. Um, but uh, I was, I, I unfortunately it, it coincided with uh, ACC media days. So I had to miss that uh, those two fit two days of festivities in Charlotte, but uh, had a great time and wanted to bring um, Andrew Ferrelli, who was with me on the last podcast back. Andrew, of course, with the South Florida express, very well connected to the recruiting scene and, and somebody who we appreciate. Andrew, when you go on family vacations, um, I mean, do you, do you do go, you do cabins? Where do you go? Where do the Ferrellis go when they go on vacation? Uh, so my family is a big Disney family. So we go a lot there. And then I think our preferred method of, of vacationing is actually cruise ships. Um, so my family does a, a lot of cruising. I think they like the aspect of you just, you know, park the car, get on the boat. You don't have to worry about driving anywhere. You don't have to worry about meals, anything like that. It's all, taken care of there. It's kind of a pretty stress-free uh, version of vacationing. So that, that seems to be uh, at least my parents' preferred method. Yeah. I We did the cruising for a long time because my dad worked for Norwegian Cruise Lines for many, many years. And so uh, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, we, that's what we did every year. It was a summer cruise because my dad would get the discount working for the company and the whole thing. And so, but we would have to go standby. So there were times we would like worry, like, are we going to get on the, on the mm-hmm. boat, you know? Yep. Um, we took a lot of cruises and I was very blessed as a kid to, to be able to do those kind of things. What, where, where's the most exotic place you've been on a cruise? Uh, so probably we did one out of uh, Barcelona. So we flew over to Barcelona, wow. um, stayed there for about two or three days at a time. And then uh, did a cruise that took us through um, some different parts of Spain, um, some parts of France, Italy, and then back to Barcelona. That's probably the, uh, wow. that is a nice cruise. Most exotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, my parents didn't start going international uh, really until um, we were out of the house. They were smart. They saved their money till, <laughs> till we were out of the house. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I was 17. I think when we went to Alaska, that was the first time we'd gone to kind of that far away from home. Most of it were sort of Caribbean type cruises. And then mm-hmm. once I was a senior in high school, they made it a special trip and, and we flew out to Alaska. And that was really cool. 
got on a helicopter, landed on a, a glacier. Uh, it was a hell of experience. One of the best vacations ever. But wow. you know what? Vacation ends. You got to go back to work. And now now the season's right around the corner, dude. Like uh, camp is starting on uh, on Friday, August 5th. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've got recruiting going and, and I'm looking at the calendar and it's been two weeks since Miami landed a commitment. I mean, what, what is Mario doing? He hasn't landed a commitment in two weeks. What's happening? Andrew? I know we're getting spoiled for a while. It was like every other day we we're getting a four or five star guy. Um, but, uh, you know, some guys last week didn't go our way and then a couple guys pushed it back. But uh, I think things can change drastically over the next uh, four or five, six days. I think uh, you're going to start seeing some more guys start rolling in again before camp starts. Yeah, you uh, <clears throat> you and I were texting while I was out there in, in, in Georgia in the cabins uh, and you were kind of filling me in on what was happening. Um, and I appreciate it because I, I, I would check in with a couple of my guys, my sources at Miami, just to be like, hey, what's you know, what do you guys expect this week? I had all these stories written, right, <clears throat> waiting for these kids to announce and commit because that's what we do. We we basically uh, we all know what's going to happen days in advance, usually. And uh, and so I was told, OK, these kids we feel pretty good about. And I, and I wrote all these stories knowing I was going to be on vacation. And so my editors would have it and they could post it while I was gone. So um, I did about two or three different recruiting stories um, and, and had them ready to go. And, and then, of course, nothing happens. And, and uh, I mean, at least for the ones that we thought Miami was going to get. And, you know, that was four star linebacker uh, Malik Bryant. And uh, who else did I write? Uh Jaden Bonsu. Jaden Bonsu, right? The four-star safety out of Jersey. I had those two ready to go. And then I did a third one on Olausa Linen um, mm-hmm. because it looked like Miami was going to get him two weeks ago. <clears throat> and then you obviously got some insights on what happened there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Bama made a late push there. Uh, I think part of it was um, Miami obviously has Francis Maui go with the number one offense tackle in the country locked up. They still feel really good about Samson Akinola, who's the number three offensive tackle in the country. Um, so at that point, I think um, Allen and kind of saw, you know, he'd be the the third best tackle in this class, um, possibly would get moved to guard, whatever the case may be there. Um, and I think that coupled with the late push that Alabama made is really what uh, kind of led him to go that way uh, over the Miami. Yeah. And, you know, while while I, you know, it'd be great to get the 122nd best player in the country every every time and say, hey, we don't care about taking three or four offensive tackles. <laughs> Uh, especially at this school, which is trying to, you know, upgrade its offensive line. I, I, I think obviously you have to be practical in all this and, and understand mm-hmm. that, you know, these kids are also looking at the depth chart, right? They're also looking to see who, who you're bringing in. And, and let's not forget NIL plays a factor in all this, right? I mean, of course, uh, these kids are also looking for the best potential deals to help them when, and their families. Um, and, and so Alinen, you know, he always had Alabama high. That wasn't like, Oh, you know, he had to settle for them or anything like that. They were very in very high regard. And, and you know, he visited Ohio State as well. There were other elite teams. And Miami ultimately was in the final two. And yep. it just came down to them losing that battle for him. But it's not like you said, you have Oakland Lola, who essentially, you know, I've heard he could commit at any moment to Miami. That mm-hmm. You know, they, they feel pretty confident that they're going to get him. And he's rated a little bit higher, looks a little better as a player, you know, uh, Alinen is still sort of growing into his game as a football player coming over from Finland just a couple of years ago. And, and Okunlola, on the other hand, a little more athletic, uh, probably 
more of the kind of guy you want here uh, at Miami to, you know, help replace some of these, these veteran tackles that'll be leaving soon. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, on the offensive line, you also had another kid and we'll get back to Bonsu and Brian in a second, but you also had a couple of other kids that, that Miami was after that didn't pick the hurricanes. And that was uh, Peyton Kirkland who ended up sort of going with Texas, a school that wasn't even in his top five. He committed to them on Saturday. And I know there were some Miami fans that were, thinking, man, why, why didn't they take Peyton Kirkland? What, what is your understanding of the Kirkland situation? So Kirkland wanted to come to Miami. Um, there was even a quote coming out after he committed with him saying how upset he was when he found out he couldn't go to Miami. Um, Miami wanted to move him inside to guard. He didn't want to move to guard. He wanted to stay as a tackle, um, which brings us kind of back to that same place with having Maui Goa and likely Akinola on the board already. Um, so losing him to Texas wasn't necessarily him picking Texas over Miami. Miami just told him, Hey, look, you know, we're not going to take you at this time. Um, we, we have our tackle spots filled. Um, if you want us to possibly come as a guard, we could, you know, see what we can do there. Uh, but he was pretty set at, at playing tackle. Um, and even in his tweets after you could see, or, or even leading up to the commitment, um, he was kind of trying to, uh, build some publicity around Miami and, and him going to Miami kind of forced himself into the class. And then after tweeting about, Oh, Arch wanted me to come play tackle for him and stuff like that, just kind of um, things like that, that continued to show what really happened there. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, you know, a miss for UM. It was more so just, they wanted him as a guard, um, definitely not as a tackle. And, and he wanted to play tackle. So he went somewhere that, uh, that was recruiting him as a tackle. Yeah. And in the end, you're not going to get all these guys. So for, for the Miami fans who are disappointed or angry or upset, I mean, uh, it, it's just one of those deals where, you know, Mario and uh, Alex Mirabal have their vision for what they're going to do with the offensive line, who they like, where. And I had a long conversation. You can go back and, and check out my story uh, for, with Alex Mirabal, where, where, the, where the lead quote is essentially, I'd cut off my leg, uh, my legs to make sure that, <laughs> that this offensive line is great. You know, he talked a lot about what he sees as an ideal offensive lineman and, you know, weight and athleticism plays a big role in that. He doesn't want sloppy offensive linemen. He wants good bodied um, athletic guys who can hop up off the ground uh, type of deal. And Oakland Lola is much more of that kind of prototype uh, offensive lineman in terms of athleticism. You can say the same thing with Maui Goa. Yes, he's over mm-hmm. 300 pounds, but he's an athletic 300 pound, well, yep. you know, good moving offensive tackle. So, I mean, Miami has basically, under Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal, they've basically gone from just getting whatever big guys they could get, right? Like, think mm-hmm. about the Zion Nelson recruitment 240 pounds, last minute, you're pulling him essentially away from uh Appalachian you know, State <laughs> Appalachian State at the last second and developing him into one of the best offensive linemen in the country but still you're this is an entirely different weight class that they're mm-hmm. they're fighting in for these offensive linemen and oh by the way this Thursday I mean I have it on pretty good authority myself that uh you know Kinsler out of Ocala Trinity Catholic who they like a lot by the way I know yes. he's only a three-star they love him they absolutely love him you know all all, all indications are he's going to commit to Miami on Thursday they're going to take him away from the Florida Gators, essentially, uh, who did like him and did want him. And he had committed to just a few weeks before. So, um, you know, it looks like they're going to round out their offensive line class. They've already got three commitments, essentially, with Oakland Lola and Kinsler. And to me, that's a huge victory when you when you look at it from that perspective. 
And there is there is one more name on the offensive line that I think UM fans are going to start hearing a lot more of lately. Um, there's a, a four-star. He's the number one player in Hawaii. Um, his name, I'm going to butcher this. It's Yapani La Lalulu. Mm-hmm. Um, I-A-P-A-N-I-L-A-L-O-U-L-U. Um, and he is a guard that they really like. He's not the tallest guy. He's only about 6'2", um, but he is a super physical, uh, super athletic, um, just a mauler, just one of those you know big, strong Polynesian offensive linemen that uh, obviously Miami started to build that connection with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's another kid that's kind of emerged at the guard position. Um, and he's a kid that um, ESPN and on three and, and um, rivals all have ranked as just outside of a top 100 kid. He's uh, about 105 or 106 in those rankings. He's another elite kid. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things with this staff is when Miami misses on a kid now, you know, it's going against Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. You're not going to get every kid that you're recruiting against those teams for. But now when you don't get one of those players, they're not just taking you know, whoever pulling a, a kid from Appalachian state or signing, you know, local three-star they can find here. They're pivoting and still going after another elite guy because they know that they can go ahead and, and get those guys. Um, so I think that's a, that's a huge difference with this staff is just once you miss on someone, it's not just taking a plan B of whoever you can find wherever it's, we're going to go out and we're going to get another elite guy to fill that spot instead. And I think um, Lalulu from, uh, from Hawaii is another, big time guard that they've uh, looked at it, put it filling another spot in this offense line class. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And, and it's and it's clear that, you know, that they're going to take the right kind of guys. Right. And, and look, you can recruit a kid. You can have them on campus multiple times. But things also change in the evaluation process. Right. I mean, when you go through this and you get to know these kids better. And that's something Mario and I have talked about in the past is, yeah, I, he may recruit a kid. And it's almost like his, his coaching hires is the same way. Right. He goes mm-hmm. through a thorough process of vetting these players. And as much as he may recruit them, he may change his his mind at the last minute and say, you know what, this guy really isn't the kind of fit I think for our future, uh, even if the kid wants to come here. And and I think that's kind of a refreshing approach to this all because I know a lot of us think, well, the kids are the ones that control all this. But the reality is, when you go through the recruiting process, um, you also take yourself out of other certain situations when you don't visit a school or when you or when you don't talk to coaches on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. it, it is sort of like a dating, a speed dating process, right? For all these elite kids, yep. they, 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 you know, you know it, Andrew, you've watched a bunch of kids go through Software Express. They may go through the process the entire year and have two or three favorite schools, but then those two or three favorite schools don't have them in the same place on their board as they do other guys. And what happens is, they get wooed, 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 wooed. And then at the end, they don't pick 
the school that they really want to go to because they don't have a spot. Yeah, it definitely happens a lot, especially with, you know, teams getting on kids early and earlier now offering eighth, ninth graders, Um, you know, kids either don't develop the way that they thought they would um, off field stuff happens, whatever the case may be. Um, And yeah, you may have thought from your freshman, sophomore, junior year that you had this school in mind that you wanted to go to. And then either that school just isn't as high as you anymore on you anymore. They get some other commits at your position that, that they think are even better. Um, And and all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of left out to dry. You got to find somewhere else to go. And it it definitely happens. And it's just, you know, it's part of the game. Um, Schools can't take any, everyone just like kids can't commit everywhere. So um, kind of, it's, it's it's back and forth. Like you said, it's like a speed dating, just trying to figure out um, who's the right match for you on, on both ends. Yeah. And, and in the end, you know, that's why I don't blame these kids for taking every single visit. Right. And mm-hmm. people talk about, uh, oh, if you're committed, why? Right. Manny Diaz had that whole thing. If you're committed to us, you're not visiting elsewhere. Well, you got to protect yourself as a player and yep. you have to constantly, um, you know, keep doors open just in case you have to pivot or a situation changes, especially nowadays with, with how frequently coaches, I mean, assistant coaches anyway, um, you know, move from one school to another. And so. Um, that's why this thing, I, I know we get caught up in it in the summertime because all these official visits happen and all these elite kids commit. But the reality is, is, you know, I, I feel like telling the college football, well, wake me up in November. That's when I'll start to care about this because that's when <laughs> to me, everything really starts to get locked in right, mm-hmm. right before December, right. When the, you know, these high school football seasons end and right when coaching changes start to happen, that's, yep. that's the reality, but you know, recruiting is 24, seven, 365 days a year. And, and, you know, that's why we have you on the show, Andrew, because you help guide <laughs> us through this process. But, but the reality is like, you know, for the fans who invest their feelings and get angry about commitments and decommitments, and you know, it's, it's like, look, man, this is a long, slow dance to the end. And mm-hmm. until they sign, it's, it's basically meaningless. That said, I still think Miami's going to do, phenomenally here uh, on this recruiting trail. And I do think, you know, that that second wave that Mario Cristobal talked about, I guess, last week when he was quoted up in Charlotte, I expect another, you know, second wave to sort of happen uh, in terms of recruiting, you know, Jaden Bonson, I think Malik Bryant are, are a part of that. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the latest with both of those guys, Andrew? Um, so I, Miami still feels really good about both of them. Um, they felt very good about the, about them committing during the original commitment dates last week. Um, they still feel very good about them. There were some things here and there in their commitments that they had to get ironed out. Um, it seems like those are being taken care of, just some concerns that they had. Um, but I've heard still they feel very good about both. Um, sometime this week, I believe they're expecting them to commit any, as early as tomorrow on Wednesday, the 27th. Um, we could see um, one of, if not both of them commit. Uh, but I think definitely um, within the next week or so, um, they're expecting both of them to, to hop on board as well as uh, Tommy Kinsler, the offensive lineman as well on the uh, on Thursday, the 28th. Right. So that would probably be the next three in terms of commitment watch. And again, Oakland Lolo can decide to do it pretty much whenever he wants. Right. That's what when you have when you're a five star. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you have that power when you're uh, when you're that good to, to kind of hold off and go whenever you want. Um I- yeah, I would say those are the the four to watch here in, in the weeks ahead um, and in the days ahead, obviously, uh, especially if they're going to do it tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, who else is on your radar, Andrew, when, you, when you're watching this thing? Because after those four, I look at the list and I say, we may not see another one for a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, as all the kids that you know wanted to get it done before their their senior season, 
Um, those are going to be the ones that are committing over the next you know week or two before they really get into to camp and everything like that. Uh, so I think we have those uh, those three there, um, plus Samson. Um, and then also, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if uh, Lulu, that offensive lineman from Hawaii, ends up makes a decision sooner than later as well. Okay. Um, but after that, then you know, once you get into the season, you don't see too many in-season commitments. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of some of those longer commitments um, start to happen. Kids like Cedric Baxter, Hakeem Williams, um, Jerry and Dickey, the five-star from Oregon. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of those commitments start to, to take shape throughout the season. Um, and those are all kids that are probably going to make a decision um, towards that uh, that early signing day over in December. So I think over the next two weeks or so, you'll see you know four or five kids get on board, just the ones that are, are set on making that decision prior to their senior, senior season. Uh, after that, I think gets into more of a waiting game. You're not going to see all these kids committing back to back to back once the, the season starts. Yeah. And, and that's usually what happens, as you said, um, you know, you will see some flips, right? I think especially mm-hmm. when kids want to take visits elsewhere, or if they're not hearing from a particular school, they're committed to as much as they want, they may start looking elsewhere. And those things always happen as we go through, uh, go through the cycle. I want to ask you about receiver because I know the name William Fowles, the kid who, who used to be a receiver, four-star receiver at Dade Christian. I think he's at avant-garde, which is one of the new schools here mm-hmm. uh, in South Florida. Um, I watched him at the Under Armour camp. Um, I know he's listed as a four-star. I know he's a big physical kid. Um, you know, I've heard some rumblings that Miami is taking a, a, a look at him. Is part of that maybe because they don't think they've got a shot at Hakeem Williams? Or what's kind of the situation at receiver? Miami did miss on two five-star kids that they were interested in, obviously, in, in Brandon Innes and Jalen Brown. But uh, what do you what do you see of the receiver situation? Because I know that's sort of another outlying uh, topic. Um, yeah, I think they're just kind of looking for that big receiver in this class. Still, um, obviously, you've got you know Nathaniel Ray Ray Joseph. You've got Robbie Washington. Um, two slot some, guys primarily. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So they're still looking for that that big uh, receiver in this class. That you know six two six three guy. Um, Fowles has that size. I think he's underrated. To be honest, I really like him a lot. Um, I know there's a lot of coaching staffs that aren't as high on him. Um, Miami, I feel like is still kind of undecided on him. I feel like if they gave him the green light to commit, he would go ahead and jump on board. Um, but I feel like they still think they're very much in it for Hakeem Williams and are also trying to work into, uh, to Jerry on Dickey, the, the five-star receiver from Oregon as well. They're trying to get him down on campus soon. Um, so I believe he's actually, uh, Fowles is coming down to work out for the UM coaches soon. Uh, He's trying to, to get them to go ahead and give him that green light. And I think if they do, he'll, he'll jump on board for sure. Um, but it's more of a, if they're willing to take him right now um, and wait and see on, on guys like Hakeem and, and Jerry on Dickey. Um, Cause he definitely wants in at the moment. Yeah. Dickey's part of the Oregon class and, and he was on uh, the Miami Immortals team uh, with Jaden Rashada. I, I watched him out in California a little bit and I thought he was one of the top five receivers there overall. Um, you know, obviously you guys had a lot of talent on the South Florida express team, but I thought he stood out like a sore thumb on that Miami immortals team as the best receiver that they had really yeah. excellent footwork, especially, you know, making pa- uh, catches along the sideline in the end zone. Just, he knew how to, uh, you know, he knew where he had to be to make catches and just position his body really, really well. Um, Hakeem, um, I know there's been some flirtation with Florida state, um, and, and Florida State's obviously would love to have him. Do you think, and, and I mean, I heard this from when I was around you guys, that Hakeem essentially wanted to leave South Florida. Do you think there's a chance Miami could convince him to stay? What is the likelihood of that happening? 
Uh, I think there's definitely a chance that they can convince him to stay. I think he's a kid that's, you know, going to wait throughout the season. Um, he's really close with Omar Graham at FSU, um, played with him at, at Shanahan. Um, so I think that's the relationship there. Do I see him going to FSU given their offensive situation, their quarterback situation and stuff like that going forward? I don't think that's really an option, but he does have some relationships there. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a Miami, Texas A&M, Georgia battle when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it comes down to what the season's going to look like. If Miami comes out and goes six and six, seven and five, they're not going to be in as good of a position with some of these kids as if they come out and they win nine, 10, 11 games. Um, I think he's a kid that if you come out this year and you win nine, 10 games, make it to the ACC championship game, put up a respectable performance in a bowl game that gives yourself a, a much better chance of keeping him home. And I think if they go out and do that, that there's a very good likelihood that, that he would stay home and, and play for Miami. Um, but a lot of these kids that are waiting until that, you know, later November, December date, um, they want to see what's going to happen this season. They want to see how, you know, a new coach like Mario looks in his first year. Um, you know, if Mike Norvell goes out there and goes, you know, four and eight, five and seven again, is he going to last? Um, they want to see what happens with all this, because then you start to see those coaching changes. You start to see, um, especially new coordinators and stuff, what their offenses are going to look like. Uh, so I think he's he's a kid that's that's wait until that later in the year time to uh, to see how this season really plays out. And I think a successful year for Miami definitely gives them a really good shot to to keep him home. So I had um, a mailbag that I did right before I went on vacation and I couldn't. I mean, there were over 60 questions that I had on there. And Andrew, I had a few recruiting on the mailbag um, mm-hmm. that I wanted to pitch your way. Uh, you know, we could maybe break into here since we have you talking recruiting. Um this is the first one. Uh, has the level of recruiting changed from what you thought the timeline would be for Miami's upward trajectory when Mario was hired? This is from Benjamin G. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I touched on it last time um, I spoke with you here um, that I thought the 24 class would be where Miami really kind of hammered things home, pulled that top five, top 10 class. I thought this class, you'd see kind of a transition just as Mario continues to build those bonds and those relationships in South Florida. Um, I wasn't expecting him to be able to still pull these five, four and five star kids from the West coast using those relationships there. Um, and just, you know, come right out of the gate swinging. We're at, you know, right around a top 10 class right now. Um, I think by the end of this week, if you add Malik Bryant, Jaden Bonzu and Kinsler puts you right around that top five range um, going forward here in, in late July. Um, I was not expecting it to, to happen that quickly. Um, I think 24 was, was going to be the year where you have kids like Jojo Trader, Jeremiah Smith, some really elite South Florida guys that you can get to stay home. Um, I wasn't expecting it to happen that quickly in the 23 class. And it makes me even more excited for the 24 class, because if you can get those elite kids to stay home that you didn't get in 23 with kids like Brandon Ennis, um, and then continue to add those elite kids from around the country, um, that's when you really start talking about having you know a top three, possibly even the top class in the country um, next year. But I wasn't expecting the success to come as quickly here in this 23 class as it has. Yeah. And, and, and here's one thing I'll say. It is because of the national recruiting, because South Florida wise, um, I mean, if you look at it, he's got the Washington Twins and he's especially got, I mean, Ray Ray, the, the four star receiver, Nathaniel Joseph and Miami Edison. Those are really the only three South Florida based guys. I know Frankie Tinelao is is going to Miami LaSalle this year, but the reality is he's from Australia. He's he's, he's an international kid. Um, and, and even the other in-state kids, 
um, that you look at as far as commitments. I mean, uh, Robert Stafford's from up in Melbourne. That's usually sort of a Gator country type recruit, right? Um, yep, middle of the definitely. state. Uh, if they get Malik Bryant here, uh, he's from Orlando. That's that's typically not a South Florida, you know, recruiting area. I mean, Miami mm-hmm. recruiting area. Um, so, it, and and look, Mario's not alone. You look at Kirby Smart. I saw, I heard this the other day in, in one of our uh, sister podcasts here at the Athletic. Uh, Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman um, were talking about how Georgia, I think, only has two commitments from the state of Georgia in their recruiting class. The rest of them are all kids from all around the country. And, and that's really, I think, the difference with Mario in charge is y- you have an, an international and national feel to this all. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, he's not afraid to, to go and get kids from us across the country, as we've seen. I mean, the top four kids in Miami's class right now are all kids that are either from the West coast or um, outside of the U S. So it's, um, you know, or play at IMG, but are originally from either Oregon or California. Um, So he's not afraid to to go out there and and get those kids. And I think that just shows how well he builds those local ties that even a year after he's left the West coast, he's still able to pull all these top kids from, um, you know, that region and definitely giving him another year in South Florida to build those local ties. We've seen him already inviting, um, a lot of the top high school coaches on campus, a lot of the top seven on seven coaches and stuff on campus a lot. He knows what he's doing when it comes to building those ties with the top schools down here, the Miami centrals, the Chaminades, the, the top uh, seven on seven teams, having coaches from the immortals and the South Florida express and everything like that on campus, um, just building those relationships. And that 2024 class is really, really impressive down here in South Florida. You've got multiple five stars. Um, I think in the two, four, seven composite, like, Four of the top 10 kids are from down here um, with Jeremiah Trader, Jojo Smith, TJ Capers. Um, and then obviously uh, there's some elite kids at IMG as well. Um, so I think a whole nother year of him continuing to build those relationships down here, like he did on the West coast during his time at Oregon. And that 2024 class could be really special when he does get those South Florida kids to stay home. In addition to what he's able to do in the rest of the country. Yeah. And uh, I, I think in the long run, you know, as much as I love the 305 and 954, they're, they're very deficient in certain positions, right? I mean, it's not Definitely. like this area produces a <laughs> lot of quarterbacks. They don't produce a lot of offensive and, and defensive linemen that can play at an mm-hmm. elite level. We've seen the four and five star kids from this area that play offensive and defensive line go places and struggle. Exactly. Uh, this is a wide receiver DB area primarily with, with some running backs sprinkled in there, but very few far in between uh, offensive and elite defensive linemen. Although last year, you know, you had four, four really good defensive linemen, but it was kind of a rare year, right. For mm-hmm. that, for that position. So, um, you know, every cycle is going to be different, but you're right. The 24 class definitely looks loaded, especially at the skill positions, wide receiver and DB. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're Mario, you want to have those great relationships and they're going to try to improve those relationships here with this barbecue coming up on uh July 30th, which is this coming weekend, Saturday. Um, what have you heard in terms of that? I, I was told by somebody they expect upwards of 100 kids. It's all invitation only. Any SFE kids going? And, and I guess, what can you tell us you've heard as far as the barbecue? Uh, yeah, so it's like you said, it's invite only. It's going to be uh, this week in the end of July. And just another opportunity for them to get as many of these top kids on campus as possible. Um, I know Jaden Rashad is flying in from uh, California for it. They're trying to get Jerry and Dickie to fly over from Oregon for it as well. Um, they're, they're definitely 
putting a lot of emphasis on getting these kids on campus. Um, not just some of the top 23s, but already some of the top 24s as well. Um, I know, I believe Desmond Ricks from IMG is coming down for it. Right. Um, there are a lot of top four and five star guys, both in this class and next class that they're going to have on campus this week. Um, and I think uh, some of it is, is those kids that uh, want to play the long game in recruiting in this 23 class. So it's just another opportunity to get them on campus and everything like that before you really get heavily into um, camp and the season and everything. So um, it's just another opportunity to to build those relationships with these kids, get them on campus, get them around a lot of the kids that already committed um, that are going to be in their ear the whole time. Uh, so it should be a good event They're They're expecting a, an impressive turnout for it. All right, Andrew, a couple more mailbag questions from, from a recruiting perspective. Um, what chance do we have of getting Cormani money McLean? This is from Calvin C. Of course, Cormani, number three overall player in the class, number one cornerback. Uh, he played for South Florida Express. I was around Cormani a bit. Not very talkative, kind of a quiet guy. Uh, but what's your read on the Cormani situation? Uh, I think right now Bama is is far and away the number one team there. Um, I know Florida thought they were the leader for a while. Uh, Miami definitely made a push, probably passed up Florida and put themselves second right now. Um, but I think Bama is the the leader right there for him, and uh, that's where I bet he's going to go. Um, I think you know Miami puts together a good season, and everything like that. We'll, you know, we we'll see, see where things fall. Um, but right now, I think Bama's got a, a pretty good lead there. And I mean, it's hard as a cornerback to say no to Alabama. You've got, you know, the history of the cornerbacks they've been putting out. You've got Nick Saban, who is their defensive backs coach. Um, it's it's hard to to say no to um, Alabama at that position. Um, so I think Miami's done all they could there. Um, they definitely put themselves in the conversation. They're they're going to stay in that conversation for the remainder of his recruitment. Um, but right now, I think Alabama's got a, a decent lead over everyone else there. What would have to happen for Miami to win? You you mentioned them being in second, and I've reported that as well from from some other conversations I've had that they're pretty much in second behind Bama. What what would have to happen? You think for Cormani to end up in Miami's class? Uh, I think you know just touching on they've got to win. If you mm-hmm. win nine, ten, eleven games this year, your recruiting class looks way different than if you win six or seven games this year. Um, so I think. They've, they've got to come out. They've got to win nine, 10 games, possibly win the ACC championship, at least play in the ACC championship at the, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really all you can do is, is to put yourself in that conversation is win games, show that you're a team that's going to compete for championships in the next couple of years. Um, hopefully show some cornerback development. Um, I know they've got some guys like Tyreek Stevenson to Corey couch, you know, just see how those guys develop. Um, and just kind of go from there. I know uh, DeMarcus Van Dyke's been doing a great job communicating with Cormani, his family, his mom a lot. Um, they're definitely doing all they can on the coaching side of it. Um, you've just got to win to put yourself in the, in the best position. Uh, obviously Alabama has been doing that for the last decade or so. Uh, so if, if Miami follows through and, and wins nine, 10 games, uh, I think they, they put themselves in the middle of that recruitment. Uh, I still think Alabama's the leader, you know, going forward, even if Miami does that, but that's, what you've got to do to give yourself a chance with, with some of these elite guys. Right. Or, you know, you could always have that, that coach leave, right. The DB's coach at Bama take off or who knows, whatever, whatever relationship he builds. If it's, if it somehow stays in Miami, <laughs> that's, that could always be what pulls the plug late. That is true. So, I mean, I know he's close with, which, um, you know, coach T Rob, who was the DB coach here. Mm-hmm. That was the original one recruiting him to Miami before he went to Alabama. 
Um, so maybe if he were to leave for a defensive coordinator position somewhere else, um, you know, that could change things. Um, but I, th- I think it would definitely take something like that for, for him to go elsewhere. All right. Um, this one is what well, I didn't lump it into the recruiting part of it, but it kind of goes into a topic I wanted to get to. Um, this is from Colin K. It says, it feels like the Texas A&M this year could be overblown. Um, oh, no, that's not the question. I apologize. This is from Ben B. If you had to pick only one, which potential win over either Texas A&M or Clemson might provide more momentum and or recruiting juice? That's the question I want to get to. Sorry. Oh, that's tough. so recruiting wise and momentum wise, I think probably that Texas A&M game, um, just the optics of going there to Kyle Field, you know, one of the biggest SEC stages in the country um, against Jimbo Fisher and beating them there. Um I think that would that would create more momentum on the recruiting trail, um, just the optics of it there. And also, I feel like Texas A&M has had a bigger footprint in South Florida um, lately. They've they've been recruiting more kids in South Florida than Clemson has. So I think just head to head that would uh, help out more recruiting wise. Um, in terms of overall success of the season, I think beating Clemson helps. Obviously, that ACC record would be better. Um, gives you a better chance to play in that ACC championship game. Um, kind of you know set the tone that. You know, we're here to be the top school in the ACC going forward. Um, but recruiting wise, I think the optics of going over there to um, to Texas A&M and, and beating Jimbo, beating that big SEC school early on, um, I think could give them a, a bigger boost on, on the recruiting side of things. Yeah, I, I, to me, I, I view it as, you know, both of them are, are huge games in a recruiting perspective, especially for Miami, who it seems like, you know, they're starting to get some of the kids that Clemson wants, right? Getting into mm-hmm. Daniel Joseph and. Um, but but you're right, going into Texas and winning in Texas, which is a recruiting fertile ground, um, I think makes it a slightly bigger game, right? Because Miami, you know, look, they, they, they want some of those kids in Texas, including um, that defensive lineman. Uh, what's his name here? David Hicks. David Hicks, right, from, from mm-hmm. Katy, Texas, who I, I'm f- hoping to fly in uh, two days before the Miami-Texas A&M game so I can go watch him play. And, and see what, what he's all about. He's a top five overall recruit in the country. But um, that's the kind of game where if you win that, I think you get a kid like his attention, him yeah. and a lot of the other elite Texas kids. If you go into Texas A&M and win, whereas you go into South Carolina and win, um, I don't know how many South Carolina elite, you know, yeah. sort of kids <laughs> are going to be paying attention uh, to that. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think Texas A&M is the bigger game. That said, I, it gets me to an interesting topic, Andrew, which is, you're around these kids a lot more than I am. Um, you know, back when I covered recruiting and, and was the high school guy for the Miami Herald back in the early 2000s and covered Willie Williams and, all, you know, the Andrew, uh, the Andre Johnsons and Frank Gores and all the guys who were coming out of South Florida, it feels like what mattered to them in the recruiting game um, was different than now. Obviously, there was no NIL, um, but you know, people used to say things like, well, if Miami beats Florida state this year, they're going to get a whole bunch of recruits, right? It's whoever wins the Miami Florida state game is going to, mm-hmm. it's going to score. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's the case anymore that games have a direct, you know, sort of correlation, you know, the winner of a certain game has a direct correlation. So I want to ask you this question and this didn't come in the mailbag. This comes from, from the mind of 44 year old Manny Navarro. Um, what would you, if you had to create a pecking order of the three or four most important factors in recruiting now, what would you sort of select and, and in what order would you put them in? Oh, I think uh, first would be relationships, just the relationships that they have with these coaches. Um, 
you know, some of them are on them so early from the time they're in eighth, ninth grade, they have, you know, great relationships with them, um, with all the movement and coaching staffs and stuff too, that we see now. Um, so I think having, you know, a, a strong long-term relationship with a, a head coach, your position coaches is, is definitely one of the most important factors. Um, after that, I'd probably put uh, winning. Uh, all these kids want to go to a winning program. They want to go to, um, you know, a school where, where they see that they're going to compete for a national championship. Um, and coupled with that kind of development, being put in a position to win, being um, coached up and developed physically, mentally, everything like that, to be able to win at the next level and go on to the NFL. Um, so just kind of winning development and, and producing uh, guys at the next level. I feel like that kind of all goes hand in hand together. Um, and then next is these kids want to play now. Um, a lot of these kids aren't looking to go and, and sit for one, two, three years. They're, they're looking at the depth chart. They're saying, Hey, you know, the school just took three, five stars at my position last year. Why am I going to go there and, and sit behind, um, you know, all these kids for, for at least a year or two um, when I can go to this other school and, and play right away as a freshman. Um, and so, so I think relationships with the coaches goes first and then just kind of being put in a position to win, um, to be developed, to get to the next level would come second. Um, followed by where you see yourself on the depth chart, probably be the top Playing three. Time. Yeah. Um, and then obviously depending on the kid, you could put an IL anywhere from one to four on that list. Um, yeah. but it, it does play a big part in that now. Um, but that that's more of a case by case basis. <laughs> yeah. I, I think they're interchangeable, like you said. Um, but I would put NIL one because I think right now, and, and this is just from conversations I've had with different people, um, you know, covering the sport is if you're going to be in the conversation for a kid, you have to produce something. There has to be some carrot for them to want to pick your school now yep. um, since, since the advent of NIL, because now it's all legal, even though you can't necessarily use it as an inducement legally, it's still used in some capacity, right? I mean, those conversations are had. What kind of system can I, you know, expect once I, I get to your school? How much money potentially could I make? I think all of those conversations are happening. And I'm not saying you have to be the school that produces the most amount of money um, for that particular recruit, because it's obvious some of these kids are, are not picking the highest bidder per se. Mm -hmm. But I do think you have to be in the game. And if you're not in the game, you probably have no shot. Yeah. So the reason I didn't put that one is because um, obviously like you said that it gets you in the game most importantly, but for a lot of these elite, elite kids, they're getting, you know, seven figure offers pretty much regardless of where they're looking. Um, you know, if, when you're a five-star kid and you've got Miami, Ohio state, Alabama, you know, Georgia schools like that, Texas A&M, um, all of those schools are going to be able to get you that, that big money. So it gets you in that conversation. It, it gives you the ability to recruit on that level. Um, but I feel like at a certain point, um, everyone is putting out that kind of money for some of these top guys. And that's where it really falls on some of those other things like relationships and playing time development, that kind of stuff as well. Right. I agree. I, I just think that's sort of the entryway now, right? You have mm -hmm. to have an IL that's like a given. If you don't have it, you're not in the conversation. Yeah. And, and, and so that's why you see the same schools um, sort of in it now and why you see more schools in it than mm -hmm. before, because it used to just be Ohio state, Alabama and, uh, Georgia, that used to be it, right? In Clemson, yep. those were the four schools. Now, all of a sudden, you have a Miami, you have a Tennessee, you have other people involved, um, you know, a Texas uh, cleaning up the way that they have um, in, involved because there is there is a conversation about money and making this university or this program great again. And so 
uh, that gets you in the door. I would say after that, um, I think winning is second. And this is just my opinion. I, I think very seldom do you see so, a, a player uh, pick a university anymore, uh, an elite player anyway, un- unless they feel that that program is progressing. In other words, you know, it, it, you talk about winning. I think it's all sort of built into whatever team you're talking about, right? It's what level are they winning at? Obviously, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, teams that are always in the college football playoff, Georgia, Clemson, like they're they're going to be an advantage because they have the reputation for winning. They're always going to be in the race because of that. But I think, you know, as far as Miami, Tennessee, and Texas programs that haven't won in a long time, it's all relative. Like you said, nine, 10 wins for Miami. Um, you know, Texas, you could say the same thing. Are they, are they in mm-hmm. it for the big 12 championship? Um, where are they going into the sec in terms of, you know, being a national title contender? Those are all questions that I think every one of these recruits, these elite kids that want to win, I, I would say 80 to 90% of them, the impression I get that that's what matters to them. They don't want to be associated with a loser or a program okay. that's in decline or, or about to undergo a coaching change. So to me, that's, that's what it means, you know, winning, um, then I would say third is the relationships, because I think a lot of them do want to go into a comfortable situation where they, they like the position coach and they have a relationship and they can trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you know, things like stadiums, uh, on-campus facilities, uh, all of those kind of things, I think do play a little bit of a role because I do think the kids look at, you know, which schools are deficient. And that's where I think Miami has made its biggest gains and is making its biggest gains is catching up to the rest of the country when it comes to indoor practice facility, weight room, all of that stuff matters to Mario. Um, but I would say that's probably um, number four for me is, mm-hmm. is the facilities and, and the dorms and what these kids are getting once they're on, on campus. But it's an interesting conversation to me because as you said, it, it changes, I think, um, depending on the quality of the recruit. I would say the majority of the four and five stars, that would be my pecking order. I think a lot of the three stars don't have those kind of choices. It's more about who has space for me, who can take me, what's the best team. Yeah, who's going to be the best fit for me going right. forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And just touching on on what you said with the facilities, like that's where Miami has made um, some of the biggest ground is just the finances that they're putting into the program since Mario got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he came from Oregon, which is pretty much the Mecca of, you know, facilities and locker rooms and dorms and this and that. Um, and was at Alabama before that, which you could make the argument. That those are probably the two best schools when it comes to um, the facilities and the, the financial commitment they have from their schools. Uh, so, I mean, the plans that they've showed recruits for the new facilities, the new locker rooms, the new weight rooms, uh, it is really impressive. And Mario wouldn't have come here if Miami wasn't willing to to put that kind of money out and and put that financial you know that financial commitment into the program to uh, create all these facilities to bring them up to not just a, a top level, but arguably um, from what they're saying, could be one of the best in the country. Yeah. Um- all right. This is the last question because we're going to wrap this thing up. And and I, again, uh, Andrew, I appreciate all the time you, you've given us. Uh, this is the last one from the mailbag. Will this be the best offensive line class ever, including over Bama 2019-21 and Texas 2021? This is from Mike B. Um, all right. I can answer that because I did all the research on this. But um, first of all, I, I projected, I did the math here. Uh, I, I put Francis Mauigoa, Oakland Lola, uh, Olaus Lennon, this is before, obviously, he, he opted for, uh, for Alabama. I had Antonio Trimp, Frankie Tinalau, and um, who's the other kid that they have committed? 
there's one more. Oh, oh, and, and Kinsler. Um, mm-hmm. When you added up those those kids and, and added up those points, um, it came out to 131.52, which the best class, according to the research I did on 247, just in terms of offensive linemen, was Texas's class last year when they signed seven linemen, including two five stars and four four stars. That was 151.09. So, no, uh, if Miami somehow were to flip Olinen and um, uh, or Olinen and get Okanlola, it still wouldn't be the best class ever. It would be top five, uh, according to my research, which went back all the way to about 2006 or so. Um, it would be a top five all-time class if they were to end up with those six kids. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. It looks like it's going to be, um, you know, five kids or potentially six with this kid out of Hawaii. So uh, still would be one of the greatest offensive line classes in Miami history. In fact, the best one, and, and this is this will shock you. Which one do you think has been the best offensive line class in Miami history? You know the history. Um, trying to think. Was it one of those early ones in the beginning of the Al Golden era, era with like the Eric Flowers, Casey McDermott group? Or was well, it before that, then? That 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 was a good guess. Um, it, it this these are the two highest rated, and this is again just based on what these kids, the position that they were coming out of high school. So, um, 2015 class 113 points that was bar milo who never played here tyree st louis um who did kendrick norton who obviously flipped over to defense he was an offensive guard coming out of uh um high school jahair jones uh an offensive tackle who i don't think played here much brendan loft is another three-star and then hayden mahoney and tyler gothier not exactly the murderer's row of offensive linemen that you would now the class uh, from 2010 was a couple of points shy of that. That was Chantrell Henderson, Brandon Linder, uh, Shane McDermott, um, Malcolm Bunch, John Feliciano, and Jermaine Barton. I would venture to say that's probably that, that's the best how, offensive yeah, line class based on how they on how they panned out. Obviously, the biggest name in that was was Chantrell, and he never really panned out as well as they were expecting. But guys like Linder, McDermott. Um, Feliciano, they, they've had some you NFL know, careers. On, yeah, I was going to say Feliciano, a couple of them have had some, some lengthy NFL careers. Yeah. So that's what you're shooting for. If you're Miami, you want to have <clears throat> as good as offensive line classes, that 2010 group, another notable one here, 2017, um, five signees, Navon Donaldson, Kylie on Herbert, uh, who obviously did nothing. Um, you had Zalante, Hillary, Zyke, Zyke. Zach Dykstra and Corey Gaynor, you basically only got two starters out of those five, but that was sort of the next tier right after those first two classes that I mentioned in terms of points and the number of signees. Uh, Donaldson and, and Gaynor turned out to be uh, decent players for you. The other three did not. So it's not easy to recruit offensive linemen. It's not easy to hit on them. And it looks like that 2010 class was probably as good as it gets in terms of three, three big hits there. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, not only is Miami bringing in arguably the most talented offensive line class ever, but I think the biggest difference is you have Mirabal and, and Cristobal developing them. Yep. Um, plus the the strength and conditioning staff and everything like that they have now. Um, you're going to have guys that are in the best shape playing that position, getting the best coaching playing that position. Um, I think you're going to see a much bigger hit rate and success rate on on these top guys than in some of those previous classes we just talked about. Yep. Andrew, you're a stud. Thanks for coming on, talking recruiting with me. I appreciate it. Um, I, I will come back with another episode sort of talking about the start of camp here uh, probably later this week. I'm going to get Carlos Ledo on with me to, to talk a little bit about that, hopefully share some interviews. Uh, I've got a bunch of them stored up uh, from the offseason. So 
But I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. We will be back with more Wide Right. I'm off vacation, people. I'm back. All right. Talk to you soon. Yeah.